About a week ago, during the NBA playoffs, Draymond Green stomped on DeMontis Sabonis. And I was talking about this event with my teenage son, and I referred to Draymond Green as a baddie. <laughs> my son looked at me with an expression of horror and disgust. I thought, uh-oh, what did I say? You see, language is always in flux, and there's always the possibility that the idea that you have in your mind is not adequately expressed by the words you choose because your audience has something else in mind. My son said, Dad, you think Draymond is a baddie? <laughs> I said, yeah, he's bad, isn't he? And my son said, Dad, in middle school, in high school, baddie means hottie. I said, baddie doesn't mean bad guy or villain? No, baddie means hottie, and it's a compliment. So let me just clear things up. I do not think Draymond Green is a baddie. My two teenagers help keep me up to date on the latest slang. I've hear, I hear a lot of slang, especially when they're playing video games. A lot of trash talking, like, uh, get wrecked, bot, or uh, a no, no cap. But my favorite is probably, you're a sweaty tryhard. The other day, I heard my son use a new word that I had not heard before, NPC. Now, I didn't know what NPC meant. Some of you gamers probably do. But I could tell you do not want to be called an NPC. The last thing you want to be, well, maybe not the last thing, the second to last thing you want to be called is an NPC. The last thing you want to be told is that you've got negative riz. <laughs> so I didn't know what NPC meant, so I asked my son, and he told me it means non-playable character. Well, I checked it out with our very own video game expert, Dr. Millsap. And he indeed confirmed, NPC refers to a side character that is controlled by the computer's programming. If you are just running around in the game like a noob, not really accomplishing anything, then you are acting like an NPC. Now I've noticed, I've noticed that in most video games, you are the main character. You are the star of the show. The whole, there's a whole video game genre called first-person shooter where everything you see is from the protagonist's point of view. And that's totally fine in a video game. But when you apply that kind of thinking to your daily life, you start to think the world revolves around you, that you are the hero of the story, and everyone else is just a side character. You start to see other people as non-playable characters, supporting characters in your story. Their lives don't really matter. They're irrelevant, unimportant, disposable, accessories to your life. We start to see service workers like that. It's subtle. Then you start to see your roommates, your cohort members like this, other people, even the audience you're trying to reach with the gospel. You forget that these people have inner lives that are important to them. 
Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the main character, and all of history revolves around him. But just because you're not the main character doesn't mean you are an NPC. God gives you an important, significant role to play in his story. My task today is to present the precedent of expectation, the precedent of expectation. And the expectation is clear. The expectation comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Wherever you go this summer, whatever you do, do it in love. Really loving other people means not treating them like NPCs. The Irish philosopher and novelist Iris Murdoch said, love is the difficult realization that something other than oneself is real. We must ask God to help us see each person as he sees them, created in his image and likeness with eternal value. As C.S. Lewis says, there are no ordinary people. You have never met a mere mortal. But my task is not merely to spell out the expectation. It is to spell out the precedent of expectation. A precedent is an event or action that took place earlier that serves as the model or pattern for similar situations. The expectation is love. The precedent is the sacrificial death of Jesus. He shows that love is not romantic sentimentality. It is not hallmark emotionalism. 1 John 4.10 gives a visceral definition of love. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. We're not naturally lovable. Our sin makes us detestable to God, but in the words of Martin Luther, the love of God does not find, but creates that which is lovable to it. According to Carl Truman, this is the best quote that never made it into scripture. (laughs) The love of God does not find, but creates that which is lovely to it. Jesus gives us his righteousness to make us lovable to God. That's the gospel. Jesus set the precedent, the standard of love that we are called to emulate is to love the way Jesus did, even if it means making the ultimate sacrifice. But where do you get the resources to love like Jesus? How do you avoid treating other people and viewing them as NPCs? You must first experience the love of God before you express the love of God. You can't give what you don't have. John 15, 12, Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another. But he doesn't leave you dangling out there to love others in your own strength. The whole sentence says, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. God's love gives you the ability to love. Augustine of Hippo said about 1,600 years ago, what God commands, he supplies. God's love is seen most clearly in the gospel I want you to internalize the gospel so you can vocalize the gospel. The more you are satisfied in Christ, the more you will testify about Christ. Amen? It is the love of God that drives us to the nations. Now, it's one thing to pay lip service 
to love, to talk about how important it is. But we must move from theory to practice, from imagination to reality. Because if you don't, you relegate yourself to being an NPC. Loving people in your imagination is easy. But when they're crowding around you, hoping to get something from you, when they're sweaty and scheming and rude and cutting you off in traffic and taking advantage of you, that's when it gets hard. In Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov, a widow approaches one of the characters, Father Zosima, and she gushes. I love, ma- my, I love mankind so much. Would you believe it? Sometimes I dream of giving up all, all that I have, and going to become a sister of mercy. I close my eyes and think and dream, and in such moments I feel an invincible strength in myself. No wounds, no festering sores could frighten me. I would bind them and cleanse them with my own hands. I would nurse the suffering. I am ready to kiss those sores. Father Zosima realizes that the widow only loves the idea of love. She doesn't actually love real people. He reflects, active love is a harsh and fearful thing compared with love in dreams. When you become a missionary, when you go to hard places, when you do hard things, you may start to overestimate your ability to love. You start to think of yourselves more highly than you ought. In fact, missionaries sometimes secretly like to fancy themselves as heroes. Sometimes this is how they like to picture themselves. But in reality, this is how other people often see missionaries. (laughs) Now, on the one hand, people might view you like Napoleon Dynamite. People might view you as a non-playable character. But listen, if you love well, if you love well, you do not have to be an NPC. God gives you a crucial role to play in his narrative. On the other hand, you might do a lot of activities that are really impressive in the world's eyes, but if you don't love, you are just an NPC. That's essentially what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love... I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Notice that in verse 2, Paul doesn't say my words become a clanging symbol. I'm sorry, in verse one, I become a clanging symbol. Verse two says, I am nothing. Without love, you're just a noob running around, not accomplishing anything. If I have the rhetorical skills of the most profound orator, 
If I can hold people spellbound with my golden tongue, if my eloquence surpasses Martin Luther King Jr., but I do not have love. If I can parse the Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and Akkadian and Ugaritic, but do not have love. If I learn how to speak fluent Bengali or Arabic or Chinese or Malagasy, but do not have love. If I write a brilliant dissertation on deep theological profundities, if I can decipher subtle questions about impassibility, simplicity, and sovereignty, but do not have love. If I go to the hardest countries in the world, the most dangerous places, the most hostile environments, but do not have love. If I make more sacrifices than anyone in the world, if I sell my AC unit, if I sleep under a mosquito net, under a tin roof with dirt floors, but I view other people as NPCs, I am nothing. Now, Paul assumes that you want to avoid being nothing. Paul assumes that you don't want to be an NPC. You can be great in the kingdom of God if you become a servant of all. Martin Luther King Jr. said anybody can be great because anybody can serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Now, there are lots of ways to avoid treating people like NPCs. I want to list four. I want to give you four ways, just some ideas to help you get started. Look, listen, linger, and lead them to Jesus. Number one, look. Giving someone your undivided attention is one of the greatest ways to show love. The great Russian writer Leo Tolstoy struggled with poverty for a time. One day as he walked down the street, Tolstoy passed a beggar. He reached into his pocket for some money, found it was empty. Looking at the poor man, Tolstoy said, I'm sorry, my brother, I have nothing to give. To his surprise, the beggar brightened. The beggar said, you have given me more than I asked for. You have called me my brother. Look. Number two, listen. Really listen to other people. Jack Miller says, really patient, attentive listening is another way of saying, I love you, I respect you. Listening is right up there close next to loving. Number three, linger. My dad likes to say, love is spelled T-I-M-E. (laughs) T-I-M-E? Dr. DeRoshi works with a ministry called Hands to the Plow. They have a motto, people over productivity. That's really good. People over productivity. We are often so consumed with efficiency, we end up steamrolling other people. Let me encourage you to linger with other people. And number four, lead them to Jesus. Ultimately, the most loving thing you can do for another person is give them the gospel. Lead them to Jesus. And if they're already a Christian, lead them closer to Jesus. 
Let them know the love of God. Help them know the one who is infinitely lovely. In a few days, many of you are going to countries around the world. You will be going on some crazy adventures, and it's going to be awesome. But remember, you are not the main character, but you don't have to be an NPC either. God gives you the chance to play a significant role in history. Instead of treating other people like NPCs, look, listen, linger, and lead them to Jesus. Because when you love, you participate in a divine activity, an activity God has been doing for all eternity. In short, let all that you do be done in love.